Welcome to Innovating EdTech, the show where we dive in and hear from education experts about what's happening on the ground and what the future holds. Today, I'm your host, Benjamin from user.com. Join me as I hear from Victoria Thompson from Microsoft share about leveling up your leadership potential. Plus, we talk about producing quality and engaging content. Hi, Victoria. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I am Victoria Thompson. I am an education industry executive for the K-12 division of Microsoft Education, and I am based in the greater Seattle area. I live in Tacoma, Washington, which is where I'm coming at you from today. Excellent to hear. Can you tell me about some of the highlights, something you're proud of over the last few years? Yeah, so I actually transitioned from the classroom. Well, I did a lot of stuff in the classroom, but I was a classroom educator, primarily focusing on that when I was teaching in South Carolina. That was from about 2015 to about like late 2018, early 2019. Um, and I was a fifth and sixth grade math and science teacher, Berkeley County School District. I loved my job, but I was just finding that when I was in the classroom, there weren't a lot of opportunities for upward mobility and really thinking, on like a systemic level, it was like I could be a department head, but that stipend wasn't a lot. I wanna say it was like $500 a year, which I mean, no one's gonna say no to $500 extra, but it's just a lot of time and effort. And also it's not like a step up, it's more of the leadership role. You could also be an instructional coach, but an admin in like an instructional coaching, those jobs are really few and far between because in a school, you might have like 30 to 40 teachers but then one instructional coach. And we were looking and staying in the same area. We really didn't want to move at that time. I could have also gone admin, but I was also not really sure whether or not I wanted to be an administrator. My spouse is in the military, was active duty, is now reserves. We were based in Charleston and we got the call to move out to Seattle and we moved in January of 2019. And uh, when you move in January and you're a teacher, it is very challenging for you to find a job in January when you're transitioning into the classroom again, because there are teachers that of course will leave mid-year, but those positions don't come up as often as they do when school starts for the full academic year. So I basically had a choice. I could wait or I could try to find other employment. And because I, I really do enjoy working, I find it very fulfilling, I decided that it was a good idea for me to find other employment. And that's how I transitioned from the classroom into tech full time. So I've basically been in tech full time for four years now. I started out as a technology strategy consultant. One of my proudest moments was actually working with Microsoft, which I know is part of the reason why I have the job that I have now. We were in six school districts for their global marketing and figuring out how we can let teachers know the kinds of devices, tools, tips, and tricks that are available to them. Because even being an educator, I didn't know what I didn't know. So it's great to be that educator voice on the team to bring to light what people can do, how they can best use tools, and how educational technology can help to elevate learning. That year we were able to expand from six school districts to about 60. So that was huge. And that was all our leadership, all our team. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, then when I went back to school to do some math work and also some curriculum development and some tech development, I was just really proud as to how I was able to integrate technology specifically into the math classroom. So many of my students were telling me that like that year was the first year that they were able to even see themselves using tech and math just because of my leadership and the leadership of the team. That was also coincidentally the year that COVID hit, you know, we're based in Seattle. So we were uh, one of the first cities to shut down in the United States because we were the first confirmed case. 
and we shut down earlier than I think a lot of other spaces, but we pivoted to using Microsoft Teams because I was working at a private independent school. There are some countries that specifically don't have Google or they don't have a lot of different other types of streaming services because of privacy and things like that. So Microsoft was our default, but that's when the customer story was written about me and how I utilized Teams in my Mac classroom and also in my math instruction. And that was awesome because it was just so neat to be highlighted. And then when I was an instructional coach before I entered this role, I mean, we do so much in a coaching role. You're a teacher, you're a support, you are the person that facilitates relationships between teachers and administration. But I was really proud of the way that I was able to facilitate relationships with industry experts, because I think that's really important. Not just having a one-off volunteer come to your classroom and say, okay, I'm here for 45 minutes and then I'm gone. We were able to maintain those sustaining relationships, have those partnerships, and just make sure that teachers know that there are people in their corner because that's really important. You started a little bit about some downsides and like breaking the ceiling open a little bit. Maybe mm -hmm. there's some things that you learned early on that helped you grow pretty fast. Yes. So there's so much I can say here. I'm going to give two of the things that I think have helped me the most. The first is that showing who you are in a leadership capacity is very important and it doesn't need to be all out leadership. Like I said, you can be the department head. You can be like leading the volleyball club. You could lead various after school clubs. You could show leadership with curriculum in your district. There are a lot of options as to how to show like who you are and also what you can bring. But what I'm finding specifically, especially for people that are trying to break into ed tech or technology period, or even a different industry, is that these leadership roles that are within technology or just roles period, you have to show that you're willing to go above and beyond. And we're not asking for you to be up until midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. We're looking to see if you've taken initiative to kind of go beyond the pale. So I'll give you a very specific example that happened pretty recently. Whenever people will reach out to me for just resume feedback, I will always respond if it's a genuine request. There was somebody that did reach out for feedback. They were applying for like director, C-suite, like executive positions in educational technology companies. They weren't getting bites on their resume, so they were wondering if I could reach out or even give some applicable feedback. And I said yes. So I look at the resume and it's 10 years of just teaching experience, right? No department head, no volleyball club, no after school club, no PTA, no nothing. Now, I'm not saying that this is bad, right? Because if you just want to teach and then go back, that's awesome. Like, I will absolutely, absolutely support people who do that. But the disconnect for that educator was there was no leadership experience on the resume. And even though I firmly believe that teachers are leaders, a lot of director jobs are those people management jobs. So you need to be able to explain that you can do more than have 30 kids or 100 kids at a time because managing kids is very different from managing adults. Looking at the resume and giving that feedback, I was honest. I said it. I was like, on paper, your resume looks great if you were going from teaching to teaching or maybe even teaching to coaching. But if we want to level up and have a little bit more responsibility with the director roles, with the executive roles. I'm an industry executive. I manage more than 745 educators in 41 schools. It's very different than managing kids when I was in a classroom. At first, receiving feedback is challenging. That educator was asking just for a little bit more information to figure it out. 
But by the end of the conversation, they understood. So then the pathway becomes, I might not be ready for these roles right now, but maybe if I take on some leadership later on, I might be able to tackle that and have a little bit more credibility in that space. So I'd say that's number one, just look out for leadership roles and it doesn't have to be anything major, but just ways for you to stand out and say, hey, I did this outside of the classroom. That's number one. And I think for number two is that don't be afraid to throw your hat in the ring because you never know what's going to happen. I remember when I applied for the job that I have now, a friend actually reached out to me. She doesn't work at Microsoft, but she's had experience working like with them with their various products for longer than I think anybody I know. And she contacted me and she's like, this job alert came up on my job search and I don't want it, but I think you'd be perfect for it. And I was like, oh, you know, girl, I don't know. <laughs> like, this is the big leagues. I was only working with five schools at the time in Washington state. Now I have 23 states. To be quite candid, I was a little nervous. And she's like, I wouldn't be contacting you if I didn't believe in you. So she kind of looked at my credentials, what I did, who I was, and thought that that would be a really good match. I threw my hat in the ring again because the worst that anybody can say to you is no. You never know what's going to happen, but from what you take from the acceptances or the rejections, you can formulate where you think you would best fit in. Yeah, some great advice. Welcome to the big leagues. Yeah, thanks. You've <laughs> <laughs> taken this like post-teacher role as a Sunday school teacher, from was, educator yeah. to coach, and now in the business world. Do you have a set of frameworks or like practices that you use to produce quality, engaging content? So usually I'll start whenever I have meetings with folks regarding content creation or if I'm creating content myself, because those are two different things, right? So like a client, customer, or even a friend or somebody will reach out and say, hey, we want you to do this. And then that conversation becomes, okay, what is this? What kind of value do you need to bring and how can we facilitate that? So I recently just got back from a keynote where it was very explicitly stated that literacy and also making sure that literacy is everybody's responsibility is a pain point. That's something that they want to drive home. So I'm like, okay, that's what we're going to focus on for the majority of the conversation. It's not going to be 100% because we need context. We're going to bring in use cases. But the byline is going to be, let's talk about literacy. If I'm doing things myself, I kind of start with what am I passionate about? And then also, how can I make sure that I'm delivering that passion whenever I give a session? I'll also rotate sessions in and out ever so often. For example, my culturally responsive STEM education, I've been doing that for about three years. But it's not the same session for three years running. It's different every year, just based off of the needs of one, the world, to the landscape of education, and then also just what people want in that space. I also very consciously switch out different platforms, tools, and strategies because I found, unfortunately, that some of the platforms that I've spoken about years ago that were very committed to equitable solutions or inclusivity or accessibility, they talked a big game and they did a big game in 2020, but they haven't evolved now that we're talking and it's 2022. So if it's still the same, same old, same old, I don't want to highlight that. I always want to be on the cusp of what's innovative. So it takes a lot of time to curate a conference deck. It also takes a lot of time to curate material, but that's what I always start with. It's just what are the needs and what kind of resources can I lean on for really the facts and the figures? Because I can go up on stage and talk about whatever I want, but if I don't have research to back it up, then I'm not doing what I need to do. That's usually how I start. 
I used to present in front of my spouse and my dog for feedback and whatnot, but my spouse does not come from education and is not also entering education. My dog is a dog, so he'll give the facial reactions or he'll walk away if he's bored. But I lean into PowerPoint Presenter Coach, and I have for a while now. That's a really neat feature in PowerPoint. And I've used it before I started working at Microsoft, but it's like artificial intelligence where essentially you will read from the slides and it'll give you actionable feedback as to how much time you spent on each slide. Are you saying too many ums and ahs? Are you using too many filler words? Maybe like we, we can make it a little bit shorter or make it a little bit more brief. I really appreciate that tool. And then I've also got friends where we have a circle together where it was like if one of us is giving a presentation and if we're available for like a 30 minute like meet or teams or zoom or whatever then we'll hop on and we'll listen and we'll give each other feedback so i found that to be really beneficial because really practice makes perfect and there are ways to lean on technology and also lean on each other to make sure that we're delivering pretend i'm just starting creating content and would you give some tips, maybe like th things you've learned over the last few months working at Microsoft? Typically what I'll do whenever I curate content, I'm primarily active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I don't really do the Facebook thing. I stopped that a couple years ago. I still keep one just for personal purposes, but I cannot tell you the last time I logged in. I find that LinkedIn is a very interesting profile for content creation. And quite frankly, I'm still trying to figure it out. I also think of the way that people will curate content on LinkedIn. It almost reads more like a short story for a lot of folks instead of just short bursts. And that's, I think, why I really gravitated toward Twitter at first, because I like the bursts. I like just saying, here's what's going on right now. I don't like having to curate a story as to what's going on. But I have found that when I'm looking at content and trying to figure out what to highlight, Things that I've learned, not only just working at Microsoft, but also throughout this journey, because really, if you can believe it, my Twitter account that now has almost 17,000 followers, which is bananas to me, it started out as a professional account because I had left teaching. I wanted to stay connected to educators. I already had my personal Twitter. I wanted something professional. At this point, it is anything but professional. I call it a slice of life account because I really talk about everything. I, I talk about what's going on in my area. I talk about baking bread. I talk about when I go to Disney parks. I talk about technology. I really do talk a little bit about everything. And the best piece of advice that I can give people when they start out is that it's okay to be real and authentic on social media, but we cannot be messy. And that's advice that I give everybody. So when I also think about how people curate content, back to like the tags and the hashtags and whatnot, I will usually stick to no more than three. I think anything more than three does get a little bit excessive, but like I'll receive things on LinkedIn, Twitter, da 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 da, where it's like you appeared in like 200 searches this week. And I know it's because I'm targeting those hashtags or maybe those kind of QR or those like SQL things. So I always think about it coming from the angle of how can I be the most effective and it's making sure that my text doesn't get too wordy. I also try to post in very specific time frames. So if people go on my Twitter account, they'll recognize that at six o'clock in the morning Pacific is when I'll usually make my first tweet or five o'clock if I'm up a little bit earlier. Then I have a break because I'm at my job that pays my actual bills. And then I'll get back on in the afternoon and I'll do like a social check. But then they usually won't see me again until the very next morning. So 6 a.m. Pacific is 9 a.m. Eastern. 
So that's a pretty good time, right? It's like 8 a.m. Central. Also for folks overseas, it's also a pretty good time. On LinkedIn, I'll also do somewhat of the same, usually around 7 or 8 a.m. Pacific, and then I might pop on again to comment on people's things. But all this to say, I try not to overload. I try to be authentic, but I also try to make sure that I'm conveying my message. Excellent advice. I think that's like a lot of depth there. So I really appreciate that. You are working for Microsoft. Can you share about what your role looks like? The best way that I can describe my job, because it's a little bit of everything, is that I am a education industry executive. So that is my actual title. There's six of us on the team. So there are three that focus on higher education and three that focus on K through 12. So when I say like the best way I can describe it, because I do a lot of things, is I'm a dedicated resource for 23 states across the United States. Dedicated resource means that I help bring strategy expertise to sales conversations. I would say that's about 70 to 75% of my job. The other parts of my job, that 25% are coming from what I do with like webinar creation, going to conferences, working with various school districts, connecting with new school districts. All of this really is to drive sales and just like win share for Microsoft in all of these respective spaces, including Microsoft 365, including Surface, including Windows 11, just sharing the Microsoft love. It's interesting because my job is like, it's like sales, but it's not sales, right? Cause I'm not selling, selling because I, I don't have those direct contracts. I'm not really drafting anything up, but I do have a space in there where maybe, and this happens a lot in ed tech, which I think educators know, but they don't really know how it plays out. Because when I was a classroom teacher, quite frankly, I would not have had the know-how to sell to a principal or a CIO or a CTO or a superintendent. I just wouldn't have had the know-how. Because I know what, it's, what it looks like, honestly, on a tactical level. But because I've been a coach, because I've consulted, because I work with trading partners, because I do all these things, I can walk into a room with a CIO or a superintendent, no problem. And I can say, here's how all of this helps. And here's how this brings value to you from the top down level. Here's how this brings value to educators. Here's how this brings value to students. So that's kind of that industry expertise. There are some teams within Microsoft that have a very heavy education presence where a lot of them come from education. They were at district office. They were principals. They were superintendents. They were in the classroom. But there are some where I work with teams and they've all been software engineers or or they've all been IT folks and they need an educator presence and that's where I come in. So 75% of my job is honestly helping to drive those conversations and also drive those sales. But then the other 25% is industry presence. What does it look like if Microsoft shows up at a conference? How can Microsoft show up? How can we create a webinar for inclusive tools? What does it look like to reach out to a new school district? Basically, how can we show up for educators in a way that makes sense for everybody? So I might be talking mostly to the CEOs, CIOs, supers, all those folks, but at the end of the day, we care about the educator and the student because the supers might be the ones that are making the decisions, but the educators are the ones that are directly impacted by that. So that's like my advisor hat, right? My executive hat. But then we're also all program managers and we all have different programming. And my programming specifically focuses on the Microsoft Innovative Educator Experts, which are the MIE experts and also our showcase schools. I come from that background. I was an expert for years, so it's kind of cool that I now manage the program that I was a part of. But I manage about 745 educators and then 40 plus of of our showcase schools. So these are educators that are super fans of the Microsoft products and then schools that almost exclusively use Microsoft products across the United States. 
Microsoft just did some stuff with Treehouse Working Spaces. And yes. can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, it was so cool. So my spouse, her name is Courtney, and I took her there. I call it Bring Your Spouse to Work Day. It really wasn't, but I just took her up there with me anyway because she was up for some meetings, and I was at headquarters, and she's like, let's go check out the treehouses at Microsoft. So I got her all checked in. We were able to go to the treehouse spaces. There are two on campus on headquarters, I believe. They're right next to each other. And they're literally outdoor working spaces. So there's like an outdoor deck where you can go, like bring your laptop, just work out there for a little bit. It's gorgeous. It overlooks the forest space. It's like really warm lighting. So you can go in and just have a cozy space to do your work. And I've done work outside a lot. And I've talked about this on like LinkedIn and Twitter and whatnot. I'm a very big believer in flexible work. My last workplace in particular, they were very strict about how if you worked from home, you had to be working from home. So when I think about flexible work and how that looks, I find it very empowering that you can go into a treehouse and work. I find it really empowering that you can work like how I did from Animal Kingdom at Walt Disney World because I had some meetings in Orange and Osceola counties. I'm a Walt Disney World annual pass holder. And I thought to myself, working from a theme park today sounds great. When I sat in Animal Kingdom, I found my spot. I was able to watch the animals. I was literally looking at the safari, eating a Dole Whip as I was doing my work. I mean, that was living the dream. And I love that Microsoft really does lean into the notion of flexible work because I did work from that treehouse for three hours and that was the most peaceful I think I've ever felt. Like there, there's just something good about breaking from where you normally work and being there in the nature, taking breaks. It was just the best thing. It was awesome. Your KPIs that day were probably off the charts, huh? Oh, 100%. Yeah, everyone's like, you've been really productive today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, because when you're in the flow of work, like usually within the first three to four hours of my work is when I get a lot of stuff done. And that's when I was actually up at headquarters and I kept getting comments like, you're just knocking it out of the park like way earlier than you normally do. Yes, because I'm in a space that cultivates that. How do you feel about the future of education, like trends or ideas or things mm -hmm. you have for the next six months, year? I think something that's happening, and this is very like my lens living in Washington State, where we shut down earlier than everybody else. We also opened up later than everybody else. I'm talking COVID at this point, right? We've got families and students that really did like that remote option. And I am a very big believer in typically if we give people options, they don't like those options being taken away. So there were some students that thrived during remote and hybrid learning, which is something that is often left out from the conversation. I think people were wanting for schools to be 100% open. And clearly that's not what a lot of people want. And it might not be the narrative that some schools or districts like to spin, but at the end of the day, we do have schools and districts that are losing students because they're looking for other options. That's why virtual schools are also gaining traction. That's why homeschooling and pods are gaining traction. I'm not saying I agree with all of it, but what I am saying is there has to be some sort of balance. And that's what I don't think people are recognizing. In the rush to go back 100% to buildings, we've lost what has made some of what worked during the pandemic 
helpful for students and families. So that's a trend that I'm definitely noticing and people are kind of scrambling to figure out what the next steps are, but it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Something else I feel like I'm noticing around the clock too is this notioning of like learning loss and what learning loss is and what that looks like. And you can't lose something you never got in the first place. Backslash, you also can't lose something that you once had. It's not learning loss, it's more like catch up. We did the truncated thing or like the, okay, we're gonna let it slide thing out of complete necessity and empathy and compassion because it was COVID. And we completely understood the need to make sure that students got what they needed during that time frame. I think the question that a lot of educators and administrators and district leadership need to answer to now is, okay, we let this happen because of necessity. And then we found out that it was actually kind of a good thing that we slowed down standards or it was a good thing that we spent more attention on like the basics. It was a good thing that we were able to communicate with families more often. How do we take that good thing and make it better? And that's another trend that I've just seeing a lot where these inequities were all were already there because of COVID. They were just exacerbated. So how do we take what worked and we make it better for the future? Could you talk about the Microsoft Innovators Expert? So, so one of the programs I manage is the Microsoft Innovative Educator Experts. So these, again, they're like the super folks who love Microsoft tools and processes. I first got started with this programming actually in 2019, where I was noticing that we had several licenses across a lot of the places I worked at. And I'm like, okay, but we need to use whichever ones that we want the most. And Microsoft ended up being one of those licenses. I think partially because of the accessibility and the inclusivity features, but I really just appreciated everything about that program because there are so many things for educators where it's like a checkbox done. What I appreciate about Microsoft is they really, really, really lean heavy on the community and also cultivating the growth of educators. So for example, travel program, which is something I run for certain conferences. If there are educators that are highlighting Microsoft tools, resources, those things, again, there's criteria, so it's not a free-for-all. We will consider paying for their flight and for their travel to a conference. So there have been multiple times when I go to my principal and I'm like, hey, I wanna go to this conference and she looks at me and she goes, mm, Victoria, that's really expensive. Now the conversation changes a little bit because of the incentive of this program. So it's just a way, again, another way that we give back to educators and a way for them to know that we do value them within our framework. All this to say that it really is a community. And when I saw that Microsoft won one of the best workplaces for innovators in 2022, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Like, it, it absolutely makes sense that Microsoft won the number one spot for the best workplaces because I have always felt from not even day one before day one that I was a part of the Microsoft community. When the customer story was written about me in 2020, not only did I appear in it, but my wife appeared in it because we would do these little dances and brain breaks for kids and we were both working from home at the time and the kids wanted to learn a little bit more about like what we do at home to pass the time and i was like when i need a break we dance so we would do all these little dances with them and kids were taking screenshots and one of them actually ended up in the customer story i can't think of another company that i've worked with that would have so blatantly said victoria and her wife but it's one of those things where we've always felt accepted. Like I have always been involved also too with just the Microsoft community, the people that work inside of it. 
Mike Tholfson, who's one of our product managers, he's very accessible. You tweet at him, he'll tweet right back. Um, Anthony Salicito, who used to be the vice president, you will get to him, he will get to you. We're very people-focused and human-focused and also empathy-focused, and I love every single piece about that, and I think that's why we won best because it's just always been empathy forward. Before we go, anything you want to plug or something to add? Ooh, yes. So if you are interested in any of the programs that I talked about today, we can add it into the show notes because I definitely. I, I, I definitely advise for any educator to or anybody really because it's not just classroom educators. We have school leaders, IT folks, a little bit of everybody, um, but highly recommend because it's just a great way to get involved in a community that, again, is truly a community. I absolutely love it. If any of you are interested in just, I call it upskilling, figuring out what the next step is for maybe your career or professional development, please feel free to reach out for like specific questions or, or anything like that. I've got my Twitter at Victoria the Tech, which again is by far where I am the most active on social. And then on LinkedIn, Victoria Rose Thompson. But that's where you can find what I'm up to next, all of those really good things. And speaking of what I'm up to next, if any of you are going to be at AECT, which is a conference in Las Vegas, I will be there giving my session on black women in ed tech with my friend and colleague, Alicia Sewell. I'll also be at the South Carolina Educational Technology Conference in October. So that's from October 26th through 28th. I'll be back in my stomping ground. And I'll also be at GAETC in November. So I'm always on the ground running, but those are the three that come to mind for where I'll be in person next. Fantastic. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks yeah, for your time. Yeah, nice to talk with you too.